So when we look at this prayer of Jesus, we notice that it's divided into three parts. The first part, Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying to God the Father for himself. He's saying, let my works be glorified, let me be glorified in you. And he directs this prayer to the Father. Now, the great Christian mystery is this. Don't be confused. A lot of people are like, well, you see, then Jesus here clearly means that he is not God if he's praying to God. Not at all the case. Not at all the case. As Christians, we believe in one God and three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Distinct from the other, different from one another, but not God in different modes. It goes into a mystery, but yet each person is different, has his own role in the Trinity, in the life of God, but ultimately there is one God. Now you see, the great mystery of the Christian life is this. That every prophet who's come before him is trying to reveal something about God, but only goes so far. It only goes so far for the past thousands of years before Jesus, is he only gone so far and they could never reveal everything about God. And so no matter how much we try to reach God, ultimately we are people, we are humans, and God is up here. There is no bridge. There is nothing to connect us to God. And so, Jesus is in the middle. He's described as the priest. What do I do as the priest for all of you? I ascend this altar and I offer the body and blood of Christ on behalf of you and I connect you to God. In the same way, Jesus does the same. He connects us to God. He's fully human, 100% human, and He's 100% God. And so now here we are, and here's God, and He's able to connect us. He's able to make us one with the Father, and now God is no longer a mystery. He's no longer a stranger to us. We can connect to Jesus, and when Jesus prays to God the Father, He's praying to Him not as God, but He's praying to Him through His humanity, through His human side. And He shows us how we can connect to Him to get to God. Amen? Everyone with me so far? Okay, everyone with me. And so Jesus becomes that bridge for us. He, he lets us to understand who Jesus is, who God is, who God the Father is, that He's no longer a stranger to us. This is why, by the way, the Jews had such a hard time when Jesus revealed God as a Father. Beautiful. He revealed God as a Father, not just the creator of the universe, there are other religions that say that God is a creator and that we are all his slaves to do his bidding. Jesus says, you are not my slaves. You are not slaves of the creator, but you are children of the Father. You can talk to God as a father. We'll begin on that in just a moment. So again, it's separate to three parts. God pray, Jesus is praying towards God. For him, he's praying for his disciples. And he's praying for his Christian believers. What I want us to focus on today is that first part of the prayer where he talks about eternity. You shall have eternal life. What does that mean? We hear it all the time, you're going to live forever, eternal life, okay, oh joy, things are cool, whatever. Let's move on to the next thing, right? Whatever it might be. We always hear it and it just kind of goes through one ear and out the other. We don't really stick with it, we don't really study it, we don't really understand what it means and so, Jesus today is telling us, I want you to have eternal life. What does eternal life exactly mean? If we take a look at this word, eternal life, it doesn't just mean this kind of like long life, this kind of long duration. You know, here is science all the time, trying to make you to live to the ripe old age of 200, and we're always trying to prolong life, right? 
Who really wants to live until 200, right? How good is your quality of life going to be? Probably not that great, right? Not that great at all. Eternal life has more to do with just the long duration of life. Just kind of life live for a long time. Rather, what Jesus means here is how well you live life. How well you are journeying towards Him. And in order for us to have eternal life, as we said before, the more in which we know Jesus, the more in which we know God, and the more in which we can share in the life of God. The only thing in this universe that is eternal is God. There is that prayer on Ash Wednesday. You are dust, and remember, to dust you will return. Remember that everything in this world dies. Everything in this world fades away. And so we need to cling on to that thing that doesn't fade away. The thing that never dies. The thing that never changes. The thing that never changes is God. And now Jesus tells us we can share in that life of God if we know Him more. And that is what His prayer is all about. The more in which we know God the Father, the more in which we are changed from inside. The more in which we are able to change our hearts and say, God, I want nothing more than to share in your life. And that is what Jesus means by eternal life. Not just that we are going to live forever, but that we are going to live forever with the knowledge of God, with this this extreme amount of happiness that cannot be possibly be put into words. And so that is what we look forward to as a Christian. Towards the end of his prayer, he tells him, listen, the world's against you. They're going to kill you. They're going to persecute you. But you will find joy in this, right? Here's Jesus always being a funny guy, right? The world's going to hate you. The world's going to persecute you. But you're going to find joy in this. There is this joy in going against the world because it means you are truly alive if you're going against the world. If you're dead, whatever, you'll go along with society. You'll do whatever society says, and you'll never find that true happiness. But when you fight against the world, it shows there is something worth fighting for. It shows that God is worth fighting for. It shows that we are constantly, constantly on the move towards Him. There's always these, these doctrines of like Christian missionaries... And they're going off to all these, you know, you imagine like these tribes of the world that have never ever seen uh, Jesus, right? They've never even heard of the Gospels, never heard of Jesus, never seen anything like a church or anything before. And so these brand new kind of people that need to be converted by missionaries, by monks, by priests. And one thing the priests and the missionaries always write about is this. They said they go off to these people and they see these people and they believe in all these different gods, Right? They believe in, in the God of the hill. They believe in the God of the water. They believe in the God of the sky, the, blue, the God of the rock, whatever it might be. And if you trip over the rock and you stub your toe, the God of the rock just punished you, right? Or if, if it's raining really hard, somehow, some way, you angered the God of the rains. And so here are these people, they're constant living in anxiety because they realize they can't please all these gods. How are they not going to make all these gods angry with them all the time? And these missionaries write that when they become Christians, they're very relieved to find out there is one God. Their anxiety is lifted off their shoulders. And they say, okay, there's only one God. But how much more beautiful is it when they find out that that one God that there is, is not a God who punishes, but is a God who loves, is a God who is a father, is a God who is after their heart. That 
is the surprising thing. As Chaldeans, sometimes we fall on this, this idea that, hey, you know, if, if, for example, you always hear those things, right? Like if you do something bad, God will punish you, right? Or maybe God is punishing you. And countless times throughout the Bible, Jesus says, this is not so. Many times. God loves you because he is a father. A father will never wish something ill upon his children. But anything you ask of the Father's name, he will do for you. Focus on that. God is a father. Pray with the same way that Jesus asks us to pray. Understand that God will never punish you. That God always wants what's best for you. But we need to be able to look at it through that lens. Through the eyes of Jesus. To say, God the Father, you want everything that's best for me. I'm going to leave you with a story. There's a story of, of a, uh, a man who's up for sainthood who was born in Italy to a devout Catholic family near Brindisi in, in this place called Southern Italy. And in Southern Italy, there was this man named Bartolo. Now, Bartolo was born to a very, very devout Catholic family, as I said earlier. He was brilliant, although as he grew up, he was always getting into trouble. He always did kind of like, he always went against the family, whatever it might be. And so, you know, he just grew up as a normal kid. At the age of 10, he lost his mother. After he lost his mother, he began to really go through a crisis. And so here he is, he goes, he gets older, and he begins to lose his faith. He enters into the University of Naples, which is in, in the middle part of Italy, and uh, many of his professors were ex-priests, and they preached always against the church. There was this great hatred of the church during a time, and all these ex-priests would always teach against everything. They would say the church is just basically the epitome of all evil, right? And so he writes in his journal, I too grew up to hate monks, I grew up to hate priests, and I grew up to hate the Pope. And in particular, I detested this order called the Dominicans. If we see that there's a statue by St. Francis of St. Dominic. He starts off this order almost a thousand years ago called the Dominicans, who go off to preach. And so he says, I hate the Dominicans, the most formidable, fierce opponents of those great modern professors. There's this age of modernity, and everything kind of goes to progressiveness, and they say the church is behind on the times, go more towards, go more towards you know, this modern way of thinking, just like our world today. Now, in his confusion and emptiness, without God to turn to, he begins to visit psychics. He begins to visit these people who tell him his future, you know, much like Finjan and things like that, and he begins to really kind of fall into this, this other way of thinking. And soon, he begins to follow Satan. He begins to become a devil worshiper. So much so that after a while, after so much uh, studying and rigorous fasting, he begins to become not only a follower of Satan, but he becomes a satanic priest. A priest of Satan. For the next year, he begins to preside over satanic black masses and things like that, to preach more boldly against the church. And he begins to really kind of fall into this idea that, that Satan is the way to go, right? This, this kind of evilness is what he's kind of going into. His family back home hears about this. They're in great turmoil and they want to pray for him and nothing is really working. And so they reach out to all these professors that he's still in school with and they finally come to this, this professor named Professor Pepe. These are Italian names, so they're kind of funny, right? Professor Pepe. He's a solidly Catholic professor at the university, and he begins to meet with Bartolo, and he begins to tell him this. Do you want to die 
in an insane asylum and be in hell forever? Bartolo could not ignore the psychological and physiological state he was in. So much fasting, he was just skin and bones. He began to be kind of, he began to go crazy with the amount of, of satanic prayers that he did. He never thought he could be normal. And so he began to meet with the person he hated most, this Dominican priest who was on faculty, who was at the, at the university. He begins to meet with him, and after about a few weeks of these conversations, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart in 1865, he's welcomed back into the church, and he's given confession, and he sees Jesus. It's at this moment he realizes, I can't do any, I, I cannot be forgiven for what I've done, though. He has a hard time forgiving himself. And this is when, as time goes on, he begins to pray the rosary. And each day he prays the rosary, he begins to realize, maybe I can be forgiven. And he becomes a third-order Dominican. He makes a promise of salvation to serve God with an undivided heart. He seeks to do good works for reparation that he's done. But again, he's still depressed. And after a series of kind of praying the rosary, he realizes that his way to heaven is by praying the rosary each day and by making the rosary known throughout the world. And today we know that he's come and he's been forgiven by the Lord and he starts all these projects and he realizes I can be forgiven and I will be forgiven by spreading the joy of the rosary, spreading the joy that people can know that God is a Father who wants to forgive them and nothing more. God the Father wants to forgive you. He wants to love you. He wants to be with you. In the same way Bartolo found this out, he begins to these writings, so much so that John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, writes the luminous mysteries based off of his writings. And today he's up for sainthood. So God can forgive everyone. Right? God is seeking his heart just as he seeks your heart. Even those we think are lost. And so we pray, each and every day, we might know God the Father more and more, we might be loved by him who shows us that ultimate love. Amen? Let us stand well with joy and gladness, and let us implore and say, Lord, have mercy on us. We pray for the Holy Catholic Church, that all church leaders will follow the example of the saints to bring others closer to heaven.